This is our fourth session now on Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, and we'll have one more after this, I believe. And in a sense, this one is prelude to the spectacular conclusion that Paul comes to down here, which baffles most interpreters, and I certainly don't have the last word on it, but oh, am I looking forward to the, to the session after this one. So this is, this is a setup. Let's review. Paul says that what he prays is that we may know the immeasurable greatness of his power, and this power is toward us. And that's going to make an appearance again down here where he says, head over all things to the church. That's us. So we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But I want you to have that in mind that he hasn't left behind. We are to know the magnificence of the power that is exerted toward us, the church. We could lose sight of that because this is such grand, high theology here that it's all for the sake of helping us know and feel and be amazed at and live in the, the light and the power of what he's doing toward us who believe according to the working of the strength of his might, which he worked in Christ, and then come these amazing works of God in Christ that prepare him for giving himself to us as our head. Let's just name them again. He raised him from the dead. That's one. He seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's two. That means that he has an authority at the honored and authoritative right hand of God as a co-ruler of the universe. He has supremacy far above all other rule and authority and power and dominion. So any kind of force in the world, from below or from above, has no supremacy over Jesus. Jesus is superior to every kind of rule, authority, and power, and dominion you you will find in any culture, in any nation, among any people, anywhere in the world. And you never need to be afraid that your God is a kind of territorial God that has no authority anywhere else in the world. That's what he's trying to overcome here. And above every name, not just all the rule and authority and power and dominion, but every name that could ever be called up in some kind of uh, conjuring or incantation or magical spell, any name that is named, he is above that name, has authority over that name. Nobody can put a hex on you over which Jesus does not have absolute authority to remove it when he pleases. And not only is this true that he's over every rule and every name in this age, that is, from, from the age of the fall of man to the resurrection at the end, which we explained last time, but also in the age to come, the new world to come. We never have to be afraid that sometime in the distant eons of the future, some new power, some new name is going to unseat Jesus from 
our heavenly, joyful ruler. And now, in summary, he says, he put all things under his feet. That's a summary of this. He's above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. He's above every name. That is, all things are under his feet. And they got there by virtue of the resurrection and the installation of Jesus at the right hand of God. So all things are under his feet. This is a quote from Psalm 8, 6, which is quoted over in 1 Corinthians 15 like this. He must reign, Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death for, and then he quotes Psalm 8, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. That was originally given to mankind as our destiny. We failed and have been in rebellion ever since. So the Son of Man comes and fulfills the destiny of man, and we in him will return to this destiny and join him. That's what we're going to see next time when we get here to verse 23. But for now, let's just notice this. Having made clear that because of the resurrection and the installation of the Son of Man at the right hand of God, and having put all rulers and all names under him so that he can say all things are under his feet, he now, God gives him as head over all things to the church. In other words, all of this amazing power, this amazing authority that has been put in place through the resurrection and through the seating of Christ at the right hand, all of it is so that he might be head to the church for the sake of the church. And head then clearly means authority over all these things, head over, over all things. And we're going to see in chapter 4, verses 10 to 16, it means supplier, everything the church needs is going to come from her head. And so this is intended for us to hear, are you kidding me? All this power, all this immeasurable greatness of power is for us. Yes, it is for us. He is given as head over all things. All of this is to prepare him to be a head to serve the church as our absolute authority and supplier. So, as we are the church, as we are in Christ, the body of Christ, our head is supreme, absolutely supreme over every power in the world, and it is all to our supply. So, here's, here's the body, right? That's the body. And he is given as head to the body. This is not like the picture in 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, it's a very different picture. We're pictured as members of the body, including parts of the eyes. 
The eyes and the ears are all people, members of the church. (laughs) That's not the case here. No, no, no. This is Jesus alone as the head of the body. Now, getting us ready for next time, he says, This church, which is his body, church is his body, so, and what do bodies do? Bodies act the mind of the head. If you just had heads, they couldn't run, they couldn't walk, they couldn't grasp, they couldn't do things. The body is the doer. The body is the actor of the head. So we are his body, and then these strange words, which we'll stop now and pick up next time. The fullness. The body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the fullness of him Filling all in all. What does that mean? Well, I've got not an absolute final word on it, but something I think is remarkable and beautiful. Let's go there next time.